So the readings from John chapter 12, starting at verse 44, which can be found uh, in your church Bibles on page 1080. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Thanks, David, for reading, uh, to keep that open in front of you. Well, was there ever a man like this man? Arrived in the city, linked with a bunch of guys, reputation preceding him, stories of battling the odds, amazing feats. The word glory even being used to describe his achievements. Now, was there ever a man like this man? The crowds cheering him like a kind of celebrity. The public suspected that the hype was building to some kind of finale. Perhaps not really knowing that before the end there'd be cries of pain. He'd gasp for breath. And every muscle in his body would feel like it was burning. Was there ever a man like this man? Did you watch him? Last Sunday, James Cracknell, double Olympic gold medalist, arrived in Cambridge last year, enrolled in a master's course, entered for the boat race, and at 46, became the oldest rower in a winning team. You stop and think about him, and you're left feeling, was there ever a man like this man? Did those kind of things. And the public and the media, they love a story like this. Claire Baldy on the BBC, she asked the question for all of us, where did the motivation come from to do this? And you, you might have your own thoughts if you've thought about him at all over the past week. Some, I guess, might be supportive, some more skeptical. Do you think, deep down, it was really just a vanity project? One more race. Or were you persuaded the ambition was more noble that at 46... And something more noble made him countenance leaving his family and home to head off to university again at 46. Do whatever you think before you make your judgments. You want to hear people answer for themselves, don't you? And James Cracknell gave his answer. He gave his answer in the interview and on the river, the words he spoke and the race he raced. And reading the reports, you could find yourself thinking, look, was there ever a man like this man who kept going with those kind of things, dedicated, driven, eyes fixed on the goal, mindset, on the finish line. But now here we are. It's on Pam Sunday, and we're reading reports, not of an athlete, but of another man who for a short time made it into the public gaze. 
who also entered a city to cheering crowds. And you feel as you read this account, John, who's been writing this for us, wants to say something very similar. He wants us to look and listen at these final public words of this question-provoking individual and then ask, was there ever a man like this man? I mean, let's hear what he's saying for a few minutes together. John's been saying it all through his book, isn't it? If you've been with us on Sundays, you'll have heard some of these things. I mean, there's, there's his compassion, which seems evident in private as well as public. Some maintain the image, don't they? Some can maintain an image when the, the cameras are on them, when the press are around. But whatever this man was, he it was there all the time. And it was true of his, compa- uh, his compassion. And just a few of the examples as we've read through John, back in chapter 2. The way this man discreetly helped a worried bridegroom before his wedding day was ruined. Chapter 4, do you remember? He read through this talking seriously but kindly to a woman who was a social outcast from her village. And not for publicity, but because it seemed to everyone's amazement and even to the amazement of the woman herself that he just somehow really cared for her. Or that story we saw just a few weeks back in in chapter 11, properly crying with friends at the grave of their brother. If you've got it open in front of you, the reading we've just had, I don't know if you noticed, just in the first couple of verses, he used the word me five times. You get suspicious, don't you? Certainly I do. You get suspicious of of people who talk about themselves just a little too easily. And yet, for all the talk, no one ever accused this man of being selfish. No, here's a man who could talk about himself without being self-centered, who always displayed genuine compassion for others, and you consider even that, and you ask, was there ever a man like this man? And then there was his power. Uh, The reports of what he could do with just a word. In chapter 5, a paralyzed man was told to walk again. Chapter 9, a blind man got his sight restored. In chapter 11, that dead man who people saw buried, raised back to life. The skeptics will always have something to say, but all those eyewitnesses, you've got to ask, were they all lying? Were they all deceived? all the ones that saw the blind man, the paralyzed man, the dead man raised back to life because they were all thinking, was there ever a man like this man? And you think, my goodness. To have someone who genuinely has that kind of power coupled with that kind of compassion, what would it be like to meet him? What would it be like to know someone like that? And then there's the claims he made, and it's to those that John seems to want to draw our attention as he brings his account of this man's public life to a close. And you see what he said, verse 44, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. Verse 45, the the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me, and the one who sent him, well, he means God. So, When you stop and ponder what he's claiming, you realize it's not that he's some kind of high-achieving alpha male. Or even that he's someone with the kind of fast track, the inside track on spiritual insight, the kind of guy who'd make it onto the sofa with Oprah. No, 
He's claiming that to believe in him is to believe in God. That to see him is to see God. It's a claim that he can act as the direct agent of God because he is at the very same time God himself. And loads of crackpots have made those kind of claims over the years, haven't they? Loads of people have claimed to be God, but was there ever a man like this man who made claims like this and was able to back them up with ability and power and integrity of character? It's a question people sometimes ask, isn't it? Maybe your friends have asked it. Maybe you've asked it. If there is a God, why does he, why does he seem to make himself so difficult to find? Why does he seem to allow so many shadows to creep over life? The kind of shadows that we face and then seem to hide himself in the darkness. But then this man, well, this man claims to be the light of the world. And you get what he's saying. He's saying he can show you God because he is God. Was there ever a man? Was there ever a man like this man? But it's even more than that because as he switches the lights on, he says it's not God producing the shadows. And it's not God hiding in the dark, it's been you. You've been the one hiding in the dark. You and me. That's verse 46. So I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. We're the ones who've been in the darkness. We're the ones, this man says, who've been hiding in the dark, but he's come with a way out. And John explained the kind of darkness that we like to hide in. It was back in chapter 3. He told us this, uh, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. This man says, life has shadows because you do wrong things. Uh, We're not directly responsible for every sadness, but we complain, don't we? We complain about God allowing all sorts of bad things to happen, and yet we allow ourselves to do those same kind of bad things every day. See, that's what people do. We like to blame shift. Uh, With stuff wrong in us, we get stubborn, and we try and blame others for it. It was their fault. It wasn't me. And at some point, we even blame God for the very things we do. We're lost to God in darkness because we turn morally from him. That's why in verse 48, this man will also speak about judgment as the reality we face. That's what this man says. This man says we live in a world not where God is hiding from us, but where we're hiding from God. Now, James Cracknell so he was asked, where did the motivation come from to do this? I don't know if you saw the interview. It's quite something. Here's his answer. Uh, this is what he said. Uh, part of the mo- motivation was to show that if you look after yourself, if you look after yourself, you can make the most of your life, the most of your kid's life, and you're not done at 40. That's a relief for me. 48. If you look after yourself, not so good on that bit. If you look after yourself, you can make the most of your life, most of your kid's life, and you're not done at 40. And he said what he went through for the boat race was one of the most humbling experiences of his life. What about this other man? Can you imagine if the BBC sat down with him? 
if they took the time to sit down with this man, the chairs are pulled up, the cameras are on, and they asked him the same question, look, where did the motivation come from? Uh, this man who rode into that city all those years ago, where did the motivation come from to do all the things that you've done? And his answer is here in these verses we've looked at, and there's no sense of, I've come to show you that if you look after yourself, you can make the most of your life, your kids and your friends' life. There's no sense of that at all. No, all through verses 47 to 50, as you listen to this man, there's just the implied sense of our lostness. That our race is towards God's judgment, cut off from eternal life. Uh, This man would, well, he would sit in the interview and he would look at Claire Balding and he would say, look, the motivation was my love for lost people. That's what my motivation was. To do for them the very thing that they can never do for themselves. To make God known to them in a way that rescues and forgives. And the, the interviewer would push back the way they would do on the BBC and say, look, what, what people find difficult with people like you, if you don't mind me saying, what, what people find very difficult with people with you, with religious types like you, is that you're always speaking about judgment. You're always down on people. And this man would say, I think, verse 46... He'd say, look clear, and, and anyone listening at home, if, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge the person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He's saying, look, if you're trying to attribute unkind motives to what he's about, if you're trying to make out he's some kind of out-to-get-you judge, you're totally wrong. He says, all of us, All of us are already under God's judgment. He didn't need to come for that. We live our lives rightly feeling guilty, wanting to hide from the things we do wrong, wanting to to blame others. If all he wanted to do was to judge, he didn't need to come for that. No, the reason he left his heavenly home and came into that city, lived a life of powerful compassion. It's what everyone said about him. It wasn't to judge. It wasn't a vanity project. It was a rescue. So that before the day we face right judgment, we'd have a chance to meet a compassionate Savior who'd take the penalty for the things that we do wrong. And the interview would end, you know, at that kind of moment, there'd be a kind of an embarrassed thank you. But anyone listening has got to ask, was there ever a man? Was there ever a man like this man who would sit and answer those kind of questions in an unflinching way speak with that kind of consistency. If you watched it at all last week, James Cracknell gave his answers in the interview and on the river. But this man gave his answers with his words and on a cross. The words he spoke in the death he died. In less than a week on that first Good Friday, he reached his finish line with cries of pain, gasping for breath, every muscle feeling like it was burning. And he would say from the cross, it is finished. The great price paid. Your sin laid on him. He took the punishment. Was there ever a man 
Was there ever a man like this man? And he did it so that knowing God and eternal life could be his gift to you. James Cracknell won his race. It was amazing to watch. He won his race and he received the reward. Jesus Christ finished his race in order to give you his reward. How did you take hold of it? It's how he began. How he begins these that John's put down here for us, his, his final public words. Of all the things he's done, of all the things he said, of all the things he's demonstrated, his, his final public words to anyone who's listening. Verse 44, whoever believes in me. We've got to keep remembering this, haven't we? We can't earn this. We can't deserve this. No, we hear that Jesus is the Savior and we're to believe in Jesus to be our Savior. Was there ever a man like this man? And was there ever a God like this God, dedicated, driven, eyes fixed on the goal, mindset on the finish line, who humbled himself? Who humbled himself and cries out for you to believe in him. Now what do we do? Here we are on Pam Sunday hearing about him again. What, what do we do? Well, here's, a, here's a couple of thoughts as we finish. Look, take his warning seriously. It's quite a thought, isn't it? That the one who is God crying out for you to believe in him. That the one who made everything, that has all that kind of power, would come and stand and, and cry out to you to believe in him. Are you paying attention? Or, or even in church, would you kind of let him slip by? All sorts of things we give our attention to. All sorts of things we, we think if we look after ourselves. If we look after ourselves, we can make the most of life, the most of our kids' lives, most of our friends' lives. I was thinking about three things this week with sport and education and health. I only did five minutes research on the internet. You can do a lot in five minutes, can't you, on the internet? So you can argue the, the stats with me later. But I wondered, what, what are the chances of me becoming an elite sportsman? Football in the UK. Some reckon that those who go for it, of those who really go for it, have got the kind of skill and talent, about 1% of them. Of those who have the ability be spotted. Even about 1%, it's only about 1% of them who go for it would make it. To be a basketball star in the States, they reckon it's about 0.08% of those who've got the ability who go for it could make it. Slim chances. Or maybe in education, you want to get to a top university. I had to look again briefly on the internet to get into Oxford. Why would you want to go there? Those who get the grades, it's about 24% who can get in. Cambridge, it's easier at Cambridge. Lower standards, Cambridge. But those who make the grades, who apply, about 33%. At best, you've got a one in three chance. So if you want to give it your best shot, go for it. Or how about health? One survey I, had, I did this week had me checking out at 86 but I've got a 25% chance of lasting till I'm 95. 25% chance, 10% chance of making it till I'm 100. 
I'll look after myself. Train hard. Study hard. Eat well. You might just do it. But Jesus says, Jesus says, if you ask the question, one day will I stand before God as my judge? He says, your odds and the odds of everyone you know go all the way up to 100%. What's your ambition? What's your ambition for yourself? And for those you love, mums and dads, what would, do you want to encourage your family towards friends? What are you praying for each other? I mean, enjoy sport. Study hard. Eat lentils. They're all good. Enjoy those things. But don't let it be, this man would say, don't let it be that you pile your energy into those things and ignore the cries of the most compassionate man who's ever lived and spoken. Take his warning seriously. Are you all in with Jesus Christ? Are you bowing the knee to him? Do you believe in him? Is he shaping your life? Is his forgiveness your greatest treasure? Is his compassion towards you the greatest joy that you've found? Are you able to say genuinely, was there ever a man like this man? And he's won me. I listen to him above everything else. A genuine Christian can say that. And if that's one thing, take his warning seriously. Well, here's the second thing. Share him with the world. Verse 44, Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me. There's nothing elitist about Jesus. There's no my kind of people with him. Everyone's lost without him and his message is for everyone. And if we believe in Jesus, we've got to believe he cares about people who don't know him yet. And we believe as a church we should be telling others that the people you see at work, the people you see at the school gate, the parts of the city where there are people not hearing about him yet. As Steve mentioned earlier, at the, the next morning service, we're going to be commissioning some friends from our church family who are going to go and join another church initiative in Cambridge. And so Ferris 44 is part of the reason we're commissioning them today, people from our church family, to go and support a new church. And it's also why those of us staying need to gain confidence as we look at Jesus. We need to gain confidence that there's never been a man like this man. And if we believe in him at all, we must pray that we'll share his compassionate concern that others come to believe in him too. Let's pray. Let's have a moment to pause. And then Steve will come and lead us again. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, our guilty fears discourage us. Our thinking is often filled with trivial things. The things we love are far too often selfish and our hearts don't believe as they should. But you are the sender of Jesus. And he has become our savior and there is no one else like him. And so would you help us as a church family to look to him and believe. Amen.